you know, Paul has a tendency to get me into all kinds of controversial issues. And I thought I was going to get some emails last week, uh, but I didn't get any. So I'm going to try real hard to get some this week. book of Galatians. Paul's argument here, uh, it really is correcting the idea that we need to be justified by works after salvation. Justified. He uses the term justified in verse 15, which can, it's used in various ways in the New Testament. It can be shown to be righteous, uh, proven to be righteous, or it can be a declaration, like a judge. Uh, If you were uh, had come to court, and Paul often uses the term in its forensic context, a courtroom, and uh, you had committed serious crimes, uh, but then through your attorney, who is Jesus, who spilt his blood all over your sin, there is no evidence of crimes. And based upon the lack of evidence and crimes or penalties paid, the judge then has to declare you Righteous, that's how the word is often used. So it can be used to show or demonstrate or prove that someone is righteous, they're a just person, or it can be a forensic uh, declaration of a judge. Uh, All those ways of using it are important. Um, We use it uh, as a declaration in regard to our justification to be saved, but then after we're saved, we still want to be our lives to be a demonstration to prove righteousness, amen? Who wants to be righteous? Okay, if you didn't raise your hands, we're just gonna assume that uh, righteousness is important to you. (laughs) But Paul's argument here is correcting the idea that we need to be shown to be just or righteous by works after salvation. The, The section that we covered last week about Peter's blunder, and it was a major one, wasn't it? It's very important because it's there that Paul definitively establishes his apostolic authority. Okay? He corrected Peter in terms of theology and doctrine. But if we narrow our focus to just that, we'll miss the theological point regarding the truth of the gospel that Paul wants us to get right, that we have to get right. Paul, in that section, he was establishing his apostolic authority so that he could communicate with final authority the gospel, because this issue is all messed up in Galatia, and Paul has to clear it up. They weren't getting it right, so Paul wrote to set them straight. In the section we discussed last week, verses 11 through 14, Peter was caught distorting the truth of the gospel by compelling Gentiles who were saved, right? These were disciples. These were the Gentiles that made up the church in Antioch. Peter was compelling them to live like Jews, verse 14. By Peter's example, he was compelling Gentile believers to live according to the the Jewish dietary regulations found in the law of Moses, for which Paul confronted him, rebuked him, and he said they were not being straightforward, they were not being honest, they were not being truthful about the gospel. How did Peter stray from the truth of the gospel? By compelling Gentile believers to live like Jews. So a question is, what does it mean to live like a Jew? What does it mean? It means to obey the law of Moses in every context of living, in the context of food, clothing, rest days, feasts, family, 
business, tithing, worship, absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. But in, our, in the story, though, Peter was only compelling Gentiles to obey the dietary regulations in the law of Moses. But Paul didn't single out the dietary regulations in his rebuke. He said that it was a deviation from the truth of the gospel to compel Gentiles to live like Jews in general. That's what Paul says. Now, I think that rightly provokes a couple questions that need to be answered. So here they are. Please listen carefully. Would it only, would it only be a deviation from the truth of the gospel to compel believing Gentiles to keep the dietary regulations of the law of Moses? In other words, should believing Gentiles, that's us by the way, obey everything in the law of Moses except for the dietary regulations? Or would it be a deviation from the truth of the gospel to impose anything from the law of Moses on a believing Gentile? Let me provoke you further with some examples. Uh, please do not answer out loud, okay? Would it be okay to compel a Gentile to give tithes, a mandate only found in the law of Moses? Would it be okay to compel Gentiles to keep the Lord's feasts, a law found only in the law of Moses? Here's a really fun one. Would it be okay to compel Gentiles to keep the Sabbath, a command only found in the law of Moses? Now, if all of those questions were answered according to the various traditions we've come from in this room, I, we, would get some, we would get a lot of answers, okay? But I think all of us have discovered that tradition is not always in harmony with Scripture. Amen? People can screw things up real bad, yeah. But because Paul is the one that has intentionally established his apostolic authority and to prove that the gospel that he preaches is the gospel of Christ, I would really like to ask him, amen? I would like to know what Paul says about this issue. He's the one that said that compelling Gentiles to live like Jews is a deviation from the gospel. Not just the gospel, he says, the truth of the gospel. What does he mean by this? Well, he explains himself starting in verse 15 and 16. Let's read it again. He says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Notice, he includes Jews and Gentiles in there, by the way. He says, even we, as Jews, have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. By saying this, now, did Paul single out the dietary regulations as the only thing from the law of Moses that cannot justify the believer? Is it the only thing in the law of Moses that should be imposed, that should not be imposed on the believer? Or does Paul say that the entire law of Moses is incapable of justifying the believer and therefore should not be imposed on them? Let's answer that from the text and the context. When Paul says the law, he's not singling out the dietary regulations from Moses. He is being all-inclusive. He has the entire law in mind. He did not say, listen, he did not say no flesh shall be justified by keeping the dietary law. He didn't say that, did he? Yeah. He said, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. In fact, in the original language, Paul did not even say the law, as we have it in our English translations. The definite article, the, does not appear in the Greek, which would be needed 
to single out and emphasize the, di- the dietary law from the rest of it. Paul actually said, by works of law in the original language, which is to say the law of Moses in general or in its entirety, law. He doesn't divide the law into different categories. He just crams it all together. Now I point this out because over the last 400 years or so, some have artificially divided the law into at least two categories, uh, the, the moral law and the ceremonial law. How many of you have heard this? The moral law and the ceremonial law. Thus affirming that believers are not subject to the ceremonial law from the law of Moses, but they are bound to the moral laws. And I can understand why they would do that, but in the scriptures, no prophet, no apostle, and not even Jesus divided the law into different categories. They always treat the law as one law. One law. To them, there's no divisions. And then when we come to the New Testament, there are no instructions for believers to adhere to one part of the law and not others. Those who say you don't have to eat according to the law of Moses, but you do have to obey the other parts of the law of Moses, they've established a man-made artificial division in law that does not exist. And so if you're not keeping all of the law, you have broken the law, okay? And therefore, you're guilty of breaking all of it. I think James says something about that, doesn't he? He does. He says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all, James chapter two, verse 10. So if you succeed in keeping all of the law of Moses, but ate one piece of bacon, Peter, you would be guilty of breaking the whole law. And this is why Paul says, for as many as are into the works of the law are under the curse. For cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Galatians chapter three, verse 10. Notice Paul did not say, cursed is everyone who does not continue in some things which are written in the law. All You guys, all in the Greek is the same as all in the English. I just want to clarify that. All things written in the book of law means everything contained in the law of Moses. No divisions. It's all or it's none. So Paul was not saying, like so many today, we don't have to keep those parts of the law, but we do have to keep these parts of it. He was saying we are either obligated to all of it or none of it because there's one law. It's the law of Moses, or the law of God, whichever you want to call it. But because Paul says that no Gentile believer should be compelled to live like a Jew, and because he says that no flesh shall be justified by the law, you guys, we must conclude with Paul that we have no obligation to the law of Moses whatsoever. Whatsoever. He's not saying that we should keep some of the law. He's saying that we should keep none of the law. Now, it's not that we have no obligations. It's just that we have no obligation to the law of Moses. We have no obligation to the old covenant. Now, this is consistent with the entire New Testament. Remember, in Acts 15, referring to all of the law of Moses in its entirety, the Holy Spirit directed all of the apostles to write all of the Gentile churches saying, we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, And they were saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such command. Now, they're talking to believers about believers, what believers ought to be doing after they're saved. And they see to the Gentiles, keeping the law of Moses, that did not come from us, okay? 
the Holy Spirit, by way of the apostles, told all the Gentile churches they're not obligated to keep anything in the law of Moses. And then according to our context in Galatians, Paul is saying it would be a perversion of the gospel to do it, just as Peter was distorting the gospel by compelling Gentiles to do it. So if imposing the law of Moses on a believer perverts the truth of the gospel, I'll ask you like I did last week, why do we tolerate that today? Why? Why do we overlook what Paul calls a deviation from the truth of the gospel itself? You know, Paul wasn't treating this as some peripheral or non-essential issue. He says it's a matter of truth, of life and death, that was worthy of confronting and rebuking the apostle for, the apostle Peter. But it's no big deal today. The truth of the gospel has suffered change. That is insanity. Today, those who teach that you should keep portions of the law of Moses are allowed to do what Peter was condemned for. What is that all about? That's nuts. It's a strange allowance. But the fact remains, they are perverting the precious truth of the gospel. They're saying that we should at least be under portions of the law when Paul says that we are not under law. Romans 6.14. Understand, that's a blatant contradiction. They say we're under law. Paul says we're not under law. So who's right? Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, or some theologian? Paul said that believers have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter, Romans 7, 6. Oh, but they say Paul is only talking about the ceremonial law. No, he's not. In the very next verse, in verse 7, he gives an example of what he means by the law that we've been delivered from. And guess what he quotes? The 10th commandment. Yes, from the Ten Commandments. That's interesting. Paul says we're not under the jurisdiction of the law of Moses, not the ceremonial or the moral. But if someone wants to insist that there is a division, that we're obligated to the one division and not the other, you guys, the burden of proof is on their shoulders. Now, if we humored them for just a moment, we could say that Peter's blunder in Galatians 2, 11 through 14, was, was referring to the ceremonial law, which is the division they put the dietary regulations in. But we can no longer humor them in Romans 6 and 7 because Paul mentions the 10th commandment, which they put that in the moral law, right? Absolutely, yeah. Let me give you some more. In regard to keeping the keeping of holy days, like the Jewish Sabbath or any other day, Paul says this, in Romans 14, 5, he says, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. If you were to ask Paul, which day should I keep to the Lord? He would say, it's up to you. One, none, or all. That's exactly what he says in Romans 14. Why would he say that? Because there is no Sabbath in the New Testament for new covenant believers. There is not one. It's not Sunday. It's not Saturday, it's no day. There is none, there is none. To the Colossians, Paul said, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ, Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Paul says, whatever you do, don't let anyone judge you over these things. And the reason that you should let no one judge you or influence you into keeping a religious diet, a religious feast, or a religious day is because God does not judge you based upon those things. Let no one condemn you for what God does not condemn you. In the new covenant, new covenant believers, 
I don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile, according to Paul. We're not under the law of Moses, not any of it. Oh, but Pastor Ben, what will keep me from being naughty? What will make me do the right thing? Well, the law certainly will not. Paul actually says to the Corinthians, the strength of sin is the law. What? In Romans 7, he says that the law provokes our sin nature. By the law, he says, comes all manner of evil desire. That's interesting. The law is not going to help you be righteous. I mean, since when does law keep anyone from doing anything? Since when does the law make anyone do anything? You know, the speed limit sign does not control your speed. You do. You know, the last time I checked, it's illegal to sell methamphetamines. Has the law stopped the selling of methamphetamines? I don't think so. <laughs> I get to watch an exchange in the, the parking lot once in a while. <laughs> Why not? Because the obedience or disobedience to any law is up to the individual person. If laws caused us to obey and if laws kept us from disobeying, I could post the Ten Commandments and I'd be a perfect person. If law actually makes me do anything or keeps me from doing anything. Isn't that true? I mean, if we're going to follow that line of reasoning, it's certainly not biblical. Post the law and you'll have utopian society. No, Paul says the law was added because of sin. He says the Romans, no flesh is going to be justified by the law because by the law is just the knowledge of sin. He says by the law, sin becomes exceedingly sinful. That's the purpose of the law. It's never been to justify anyone. It's not a path to righteousness. It's a revelation of your unrighteousness. That's what it is, of mine. Paul says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified because we're sinners. There's nothing wrong with the law, by the way. Something seriously wrong with us. Okay, it's called depravity. It's called moral brokenness. Yeah. We don't need the law, and we certainly don't need more of it. Paul says that our old man needs to die, needs to die, so that the new man might rise to new life in Christ we need to be born again. We need the Spirit of God to reside in us who alone can invigorate us to live a life that is well-pleasing to God. He alone. God will never save a sinner because he keeps the law of Moses or does a lifetime of good works and benevolence. The most obedient person is not the one God saves. God only saves those who repent and trust in Jesus. And after someone gets saved and becomes a child of God, God does not impose any of the law of Moses on them. What he does is he fills them with his spirit. Do you think you could get more righteous than what Paul describes in the fruit of the spirit? Mind you, he didn't say the fruit of you guys or me. It's the fruit of the spirit dwelling in us and manifesting the life of Christ through us. The law is never gonna do that, okay? You know, the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel and Jeremiah is that God will Put his spirit inside of us and cause us to walk according to his word. Yeah. The spirit reproduces the moral likeness of Jesus in us, of which the law can never achieve. Christ died so that we could die, and then he rose to life again so that we could truly live. Listen to what Paul says again at the end of the chapter. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, notice that Paul did not say this. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by works of the law. You guys, he's talking about believers. 
He's talking about the life that we live now as believers. Do I live it according to the law or do I live it according to faith in the Son of God? Yeah, it's not by the law. It's not a life devoted to the law. It's a life devoted to Christ through faith. It's not for salvation. The law is not for sanctification. True righteousness can only be obtained through faith in Jesus. Amen? Okay. You guys, the context of Galatians. Paul is talking to believers about believers. Okay. And what they must do and what they do not have to do to be righteous before God. And when he refers to the law, there are no divisions. He's talking about every ounce of everything delivered to Moses at Mount Sinai. Everything. And as we go through Galatians, Paul is going to illustrate it and teach it and illustrate it and enforce it until it is ingrained in us. And then he's going to lead us to the application of a life pleasing to God. And it's not walking according to the law. It's walking in the spirit. All right. That's what I have for you. Next week, we'll actually exposit the whole section. (laughs) Go ahead and stand up. Get you out of here. If you guys, some of you know Dennis Romine, he's here for a week. Say hi to him. He loves the attention. Let me go ahead and pray, and then uh, we'll close in some worship. All right. Well, Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you, you haven't given us some external document in, in legal terms, but you've, you've put your spirit inside of us. We're born again, and we have your grace to energize us, to teach us, to cause us to walk in a way that is well-pleasing to you. Lord, help us to not get distracted by trying to please you or be made right in your sight by what cannot do that for us, but only the righteous Son of God living in us can make us righteous. And so, Lord, I pray that we would daily submit to your will and that we would walk in the Spirit, Lord, so that we do not fulfill the lust of our flesh. But by the way we speak, Lord, the way that we interact with people, our thoughts, Lord, that by your spirit it be well-pleasing to you. Lord, help us to understand clearly the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And help us not to compromise with your word, but to align our lives, our thinking, our faith with it, so that we're not derailed, Lord. Lord, I thank you for my church family. And um, Lord, I pray that they would just grow in the grace and the knowledge of you day by day. So help them yield their hearts to you, Lord. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen.